Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mean O' Lion Media presents Pregnancy Pearls. Meet Dr. Nicole Plenty, a double board certified OBGYN and high risk pregnancy expert. She's brilliant, well researched, and feisty. Growing tired of seeing complications of pregnancy that could have been prevented, she wanted a way to empower women through knowledge because, as she says, all doctors aren't created equal. This quest to educate women birthed this podcast, Pregnancy Pearls, with Dr. Plenty. Thanks for listening to Pregnancy Pearls with me, Dr. Nicole Plenty. I've received a few consults this week and a few questions about this subject, particularly from people trying to conceive, and that's ectopic pregnancies or pregnancies in the wrong place. So I thought we should discuss it on the show today. So ectopic pregnancies are pregnancies that are located anywhere else except for in the endometrial canal of the uterus. The egg is fertilized the old-fashioned way through sex, or sometimes via intrauterine insemination, which is where sperm is basically injected or squirted into the the, the uterus, um, if you're seeing an infertility specialist. And then after that, this egg is fertilized and becomes an embryo, meaning those early stages of development, a couple or a bundle of cells um, that can then organize and then form a baby. However, instead of this embryo migrating down the tube to implant into the uterus, which usually happens about 6 to 12 days after you ovulate, it implants somewhere else. And that somewhere else is not the right place. The majority of ectopic pregnancies are located somewhere in the tube for various reasons. When you ovulate, the end of your tube, called the fimbria, sweep up the released egg to bring it into the tube to chill out and wait for fertilization to occur. Yep. Your sex drive is naturally high, super high actually, during this time as the base, uh, basically the egg waits in limbo until sperm comes to fertilize it. Fertilization occurs in the tube and then the fertilized egg usually spends about five to six days traveling the length of the tube to arrive inside the uterus. For some reason, the egg either never got picked up or it didn't move down the tube. So either there was a problem in the fimbriated ends of the tube or the cells of the fallopian tubes themselves. The body is so perfectly crafted, you guys. Some of the cells of the tubes have cilia, or like little hair-like fibers that act in a wave-like manner to propel the egg forward. And this is regulated by your hormones. So at different stages of your cycles, you can have um, a hormonal signal telling your cilia to move or thrust down the tube. When this doesn't happen, or if there's damage there, then the egg doesn't move and continues to grow in a random location. Other locations for ectopic pregnancies can be basically right as the egg opens into the uterus, which is the cornea or or cornea ectopic, the cervix um, within the muscular layer of the uterus, the abdomen or on the bowel, or within the ovary itself. So why does this happen to some people? Well, there are a lot of things that can affect either hormonal control or the actions of the tube themselves. And so some of the things that you can, uh, some of the things you can do to prevent this from happening, 
Other things may be beyond your control. So here's some reasons why. Smoking cigarettes, yep, smoking in itself can damage all the cells of your body, any part of your body, including the tube. So if those ciliated cells are damaged, meaning those cells that have those hair-like projections that are inside of the tube, it can cause you to develop issues moving a fertilized egg down the tube. Sexually transmitted diseases can do that. This can cause inflammation where your body goes crazy trying to fight off infection. In the process, it can cause scarring in your tube and in your pelvis in general if you have infection in the pelvis. Fluid can build up inside the tube as well, and that's called a hydrocelpinx, or basically fluid. Anytime you see hydro, that means fluid, and salpinx is tube, so fluid in the tube. A previous tubal surgery, um, because the tube is physically blocked, can obviously lead to the egg not being able to travel down the tube because the tube is not connected. So sperm can get through the blockage some kind of way, but the egg can't get through the blockage. Um, so it can be fertilized on the opposite side of the tube. Even if it's fertilized on the side that's closest to the uterus, meaning unblocked, there can be just some scarring from manipulation of the tube itself from surgery. If you've had a previous ectopic pregnancy, that will put you at risk for another pregnancy. So if you had an ectopic pregnancy, it can be treated medically with some medicine like methotrexate. That can cause you not to have surgery and basically kill off the cells that are uh, ectopic inside of the tube. And then you get checked, uh, that tube gets checked later. Or you could have that portion of the tube surgically removed. So if you had a previous ectopic pregnancy, that place that that previous ectopic can have some scarring there. And the next ovulatory cycle, that egg is more likely to embed there too. Even if you don't have a tube there, if you had an ectopic pregnancy, it's telling us there's something going on with the ciliated cells in the tubes. And perhaps there's something going on with, with all the ciliated cells. So that does put you at increased risk, even in the opposite tube, to have another ectopic pregnancy. An intrauterine device, or what's abbreviated as an IUD, are great for contraception, but if you happen to get pregnant, it is more than likely an ectopic pregnancy in the tube. And that's because that IUD is going to cause an inflammatory response, right? It's going to thicken the mucus um, within the tube. It's going to cause that egg not to be able to be traveled travel to the site of fertilization. And that's how it helps prevent you from getting pregnant. But if that sperm is so robust that it's going to get to that egg, it can be an ectopic pregnancy. And then because of all this inflammatory response you've created, the fertilized egg can't move. So IUDs don't cause ectopic pregnancies. But if you happen to have an IUD, it does mean that you have a really high chance of it being an ectopic. Endometriosis, which is a common problem, but endometriosis happens when you have tissue that's usually lining the uterus, and every month you will ovulate. And when you don't get pregnant, um, meaning that to, that egg is like sort of sitting there in limbo, like, hey, come and rescue me. If you don't get pregnant, then you shed everything, right? So you shed the lining of the uterus and you have a cycle, you have a period. Well, if you have that lining of the uterus on places outside of the uterus, like on your tubes, in your pelvis, on your bowel, every month that ectopic tissue or that tissue that's outside of the uterus will try to slough as well. And that causes inflammation because where is it going to go? It's not like it's in the uterus and you can shed it and you have a period and 
you bleed every month. Well, you're going to shed and have inflammation in those areas too. And so that can cause uh, a lot of inflammation in your tube if you have ectopic tissue there and cause scarring to build up around your tube or around your ovaries. And obviously that can increase your risk of having an ectopic pregnancy as well. Ectopic pregnancies, if they are left untreated, can be very life-threatening because they can rupture the tube, the intestines, the cervix, the bowel, or anywhere in the pelvis. They are not meant to carry a growing fetus. Like you need certain surfaces for the placenta or the afterlife to embed that's vascular enough to give that tissue blood flow to then help a baby grow. And so if you're on other places outside of the uterus, it's just not set up in such a way that it's going to help. You're going to have a viable pregnancy. And so what will happen is it'll grow for a little while and then whatever other orifice it's on can rupture okay so if, it's, if you have a tube uh, pregnancy inside the tube then obviously that lumen of the tube is very small so once that baby starts to grow it can rupture the tube um, if you're on the bowel or the intestines it's trying to suck blood away from the bowel to then supply a growing pregnancy it can't be sustained that way you will end up having a bowel obstruction because it's basically taking blood flow away from your bowel so it's not set up in such a way and so this can cause you to have a lot of pain and it can cause you to have bleeding and if you have a rupture it can be a surgical emergency so if you have symptoms of it then you definitely need to um, get checked out pretty urgently an ectopic pregnancy is considered a medical and surgical emergency now that we know a little bit more about ectopic pregnancies, let's dive into some cases. Our first case is a 31-year-old woman who is trying to get pregnant but has had two miscarriages, the latest actually being an ectopic pregnancy. Besides being mildly obese, she has no other medical problems. With her last pregnancy, which was the ectopic pregnancy, she had to have a fallopian tube removed because her tube ruptured. She was sent to an, uh, an infertility specialist who stated that her remaining tube had a lot of fluid in it and should be removed. The specialist recommended IVF following her tube removal. She feels that the REI doctor only wants to make money, forcing her to go through IVF. She's seeking your expert opinion about whether IVF is her only choice. This is a hard decision, right? Because... Most women, if you want a pregnancy, you want to get pregnant naturally. You don't want to have to go through all of the medical stuff that you may have to go through. But the issue is, one, you've already had one ectopic pregnancy. So like I said before in the intro, one ectopic pregnancy does put you at risk for another ectopic pregnancy. And hydrosalpings by itself also puts you at risk an ectopic pregnancy. So since you have your only remaining tube is a dilated tube, the first thing I would want to know before making a definitive recommendation would be that why do you have a hydrosalpinx? Do you have endometriosis that's causing scarring of the tube, meaning there's a kink somewhere in the tube, so fluid is building up on one side of the tube? That could be managed surgically by removing um, any scar tissue or adhesions around the tube. Sometimes that's successful, sometimes it's not. But it's worth the attempt if that's the actual reason. Sometimes there can be just scar tissue from other surgeries in general. And so if you had other surgeries in the abdomen, then sometimes you can have ab abdominal or pelvic adhesions or scar tissue that are just like these little microfibers that connect from one um, one part of the organ to another. So if you if you guys don't know, if you have surgery, 
surgery is an inflammatory response, like causes an inflammatory response. So your body is going to naturally try to repair itself. So if we're in the abdomen and we're manipulating the bowel, us touching the bowel can cause a inflammation. And anytime we, we are in there causing the inflammation, you can have a response or you should um, have a response. Now that response looks different in some people than others, but Sometimes that response can be scar tissue or like tissue trying to stick to each other. Okay. And sometimes if that happens, we can't tell, you know, stuff, Hey, you can stick to the bowel, but you can't stick to the fallopian tube. Well, sometimes you can have scarring around that tube. So if that's the case, sometimes you can have what's called an adhesiolysis, which just means that it's a surgery, a laparoscopic surgery, trying to release adhesions that are not um, endometriosis from around the tube. Um, if you have an infection that's caused that, so let's say you've had a pelvic inflammatory disease because you have, you've had gonorrhea or chlamydia, obviously treating those things would decrease your hydrocelpings, but seeing as though you've gone to a reproductive endocrinologist, I assume that that's not the case and this is like long-standing hydrocelpings. Sometimes even if you don't have an STD, treating with a course of antibiotics, usually the most common would be uh, doxycycline or um, ceftrioxone, like a course of those, because sometimes pelvic inflammatory disease is caused by multiple organi- organisms. So organisms that usually live in the vagina that have now migrated inside of the pelvis can cause those things. So it doesn't have to be an STD. So sometimes we'll treat, we'll treat you on a course of antibiotics just to see if that can decrease the inflammation and shrink the tube. But if we've done all that, meaning done surgery to clear up the adhesions, you look for endometriosis or you don't have endometriosis, you've gotten STD testing or you've gotten a course of antibiotics to make sure it's not polymicrobial organisms that are causing this fluid, then you have a hydrocelpings that's longstanding and you this would decrease your fertility. And so if that's your case, then your reproductive endocrinologist is correct. You should get your tube removed. And honestly, they would be practicing medical malpractice even if they did do an IVF and didn't recommend that you get your tube removed first. Because even in IVF, removing the hydrocelpings increases your your rate of fertilization and successful transplant of an embryo. Um, so that, that in itself, because of the inflammation that's around the hydrocelpings, it is recommended that if you want a baby, you should get it removed. Now, you can try to get pregnant on your own. But like I say, you need the ciliated ends within the cells of the fallopian tube to help propel that egg forward. And then once it's fertilized in the tube to help propel the fertilized egg into the uterus. And if you have a big old hydrocelpings, then those ciliated cells aren't connecting with that egg. It's floating in fluid and it's gonna stay there. So I, I know that that hurts to hear, but you probably should consider getting all of those things evaluated that I just talked about. And if it's not working, if you got to evaluate it, then it is right that you should get your hydrocelpings removed. It means that you feel you want to get pregnant naturally, ha- well, get pregnant on your own, have to get an IVF pregnancy, have to do IVF, which is uh, egg retrieval plus fertilization outside of the uterus and then implanting that egg into the uterus um, at a later time. So that is true. And let me tell you something else. I know a lot of people think, you know, my REI just wants to make money or this doctor just wants to make money. There are a few doctors like that, but most of us do not want to do unnecessary procedures. Trust me, we don't want to do unnecessary procedures. 
there are a lot of people that come to me like, oh, can I just have a surclage? No, not if it's not medically indicated. And I'm not trying to make money off of a patient. For every patient that calls and requests something from me that doesn't need it, there are three times as many patients that actually need the procedure. So doctors are not trying to just make money and recommending things willy-nilly to say, oh, you need this $25,000, you know, um, fertility treatment. Most REIs know that your insurance is not covering that and it's going to be out of pocket and they will try things that are cost effective first before they go straight to IVF. So in this case, the case pearl is hydrocalpings, if it's not improved with treatment, can decrease your fertility and should be removed. And you know what? You did the right thing by seeking a second opinion. You can even seek a second opinion from another REI or reproductive endocrinology um, colleague if you would like. But don't think that REI doctors are just trying to make money by recommending IVF because most of them will not recommend IVF as the first line. Okay, so what's our second case? Our second case is a 23-year-old who had an IUD placed last year. She now has a positive pregnancy test. Her OBGYN told her that she likely has an ectopic pregnancy and should have her IUD removed prior to her having an ultrasound due to the risk of an ectopic rupture. She presents for a second opinion because although she was on birth control, she doesn't want the removal of the IUD to cause a miscarriage in the pregnancy if it is in the correct location. What's the likelihood of her pregnancy being an ectopic pregnancy? And if the pregnancy is inside of the uterus, should the IUD actually be removed? So the likelihood of you having a successful intrauterine pregnancy with an IUD in place if you're pregnant is is super low. So people are like, how am I going to get pregnant? It's like a one in 7,000 chance to have an actual successful intrauterine pregnancy with an IUD actually in place. So that is why the OB is saying, hey, you have, you have an IUD in place, it's likely an ectopic, and so we should probably just remove it. Now, I don't agree with just removing an IUD before I know where the pregnancy is, though. Okay, If she's asymptomatic, I'm going to follow hormone levels, right? So if she had a positive pregnancy test, first I want to know what her hormone, and, and that would be a beta HCG. What is that number? And once that number is over 1,500, that's usually the threshold where you should be able to see something inside of the uterus. And so if her ACG level is above 1,500, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to do an ultrasound. And I'm going to look at the ovaries, the tube, and the uterus, and the pelvis to see if I can see a gestational sac. Okay? If I see a gestational sac inside of the uterus and the IUD is also inside of the uterus, then we have a conversation to be had, right? Because... The recommendation by the American College of OBGYNs is that if you have a pregnancy inside of the uterus, then you should be counseled about the risk versus the benefits. And it is recommended that the risk of having what's called a septic abortion, meaning you getting extremely sick from this retained object in your uterus, is greater than the benefit of leaving it in. So it is recommended that if you have a pregnancy inside of the uterus to remove the IUD if it's still in place. But hey, she hadn't done an ultrasound. How do we even know the IUD is there? The most common reason that people get sent to me for a rule out ectopic if somebody has an IUD is because the IUD is not there. So usually I look in the uterus and I'm like, where's the IUD? 
Yeah, this is not retained strength. The IUD literally isn't there. So it means that some kind of way you've expelled the IUD, maybe in the toilet, maybe you didn't know it because most people don't like look into the toilet and inspect the toilet every time they sit down to see if their IUD has fallen out. So perhaps you were on your period and you expelled the IUD because some people have really bad cramps on their periods. And then what happens? Lo and behold, you got pregnant because the IUD was not in place. That is the most common reason that people think they have a pregnancy and IUD in place. And then they get sent to somebody like me and I say, uh, the IUD is not there. And so then they have to make a decision. Do you want to continue the pregnancy or do you want to have a, do you want to have an abortion because you were trying not to get pregnant? Now, I personally don't perform those, but I can refer somebody to a colleague that can do that. So that would be my thing. What is the IUD actually inside of your uterus? That's number one. Number two your OB is right. It is likely that you've had an ectopic pregnancy, so I would follow the tube really closely. But if you are somebody that's like, hey, if I have a pregnancy, I'm going to keep it, then I would do a hormone level. If your hormone level is over 1,500, like I said, I would do the ultrasound. If it's not, I'm going to repeat your hormone level 48 hours later and see if it doubles. If it doubles, that probably means it's a pregnancy that's not an ectopic and it's inside of the uterus, which is just too early to see. If the IUD is there and I, and I say, hey, listen, if I pull this thing now... I know that the, the pregnancy is not even forming. You're probably going to have a miscarriage. If you say, I would not want to create a, a medical abortion at that point, I would want to carry this baby, then I'd bring you back and basically monitor your symptoms. And once you got past the first trimester, if I saw the strings, I would remove them. If I didn't see the strings and I, I told you I had to basically insert a device inside your uterus to pull it out, then it would be up to you whether you want it removed or not. Some people say they don't want the risk of having a miscarriage. So guess what? We leave it in place. And we would monitor your symptoms to make sure you don't get an infection. As long as you don't have a fever and a whole bunch of tenderness, then it's pretty safe to continue the pregnancy without removing it. So it really just depends on where the um, IUD actually is. And it depends on what you want to do with the pregnancy. And it's our job to respect what you want to do and support what you want to do. But you would need to make sure that you understand an IUD in place with a pregnancy does increase your risk of having a septic abortion, meaning an infection inside of your uterus, even if the pregnancy is a normal intrauterine pregnancy. And if you end up having a septic abortion, meaning an infection inside your uterus with or without the baby still being alive, the recommendation is to remove it at that point as well as to get rid of the pregnancy because that is very life-threatening. You can have an extremely rapidly progressing sepsis and it has a very high maternal mortality rate. So you have a very high likelihood of dying if you end up having a septic pregnancy. So in that, if that were the case, you had no choice but to take the IUD out and get a DNC to treat it. So you wouldn't die. But in this case, it doesn't seem like that's the case. We're just trying to find where the pregnancy is and see if you need to remove the IUD. My case pearl is an IUD should be removed even if a confirmed pregnancy is inside of the uterus to avoid the risk of a septic abortion. Medical intern, any email cases? Yes, it says, hi, Dr. Plenty. I have endometriosis causing painful cycles. I was previously maintained on birth control pills, which initially helped with my symptoms. However, once I got married, I discontinued them because I was already 36 years old and wanted to get pregnant right after the wedding. It took about six months of getting off of birth control pills for my cycle to be normal. 
to be more regular. Now it's been a year and I have painful cycles again. I didn't want to restart birth control pills, so my OBGYN told me I should consider starting a short stint of hormonal injections. But won't that decrease my fertility even more? A couple of things. One, planning is essential. If you have endometriosis, the reason that we put you on birth control pills is to regulate your hormones so that that endometrial tissue, like I said before, that ectopic tissue outside of the uterus that grows when the endometrial when the endometrial tissue inside of your uterus grows and it sheds when your cycle is on. So we want to suppress those hormones that cause this proliferation of this tissue. It's very important to time when you're going to get off and then induce ovulation to allow you to have a pregnancy. So people with endometriosis really have to coordinate things with their OBGYN or their reproductive endocrinologist to come off of their treatment to then get pregnant. The issue with this is, it sounds like we came off of our um, medications too early and didn't try to get pregnant right after that. Now we have an overgrowth of endometrial tissue and you're having pain again. So I know you don't want to be on birth control pills because you probably are like, it took me a while to normalize my cycles. So I don't want to get back on that because I want to get pregnant right away. I get that. But with endometriosis, because it can decrease your fertility and cause you to have some issues ovulating anyway, I do agree that some type of hormonal treatment, whether that's injections or Lupron, that is going to decrease your fertility because it's basically going to suppress your hormones for a little while. But that's better so that you can get suppress those symptoms and suppress that endometriosis. So then you can be put on medicines to help with your ovulation. And so timing is has to be very, very timed um, in this perspective. So yes, it's going to decrease your fertility initially, but that's only so they can coordinate your fertility and increase your risk, uh, your chances of having a baby later on. I know it sounds counterintuitive because you're like, wait a minute, I'm trying to have a baby and you're giving me something to stop me from having a baby for a little while. But it's all to get this endometriosis under control before you get medicines to help induce your ovulatory cycle so that you can then become pregnant. So I do think that that's the right thing to do. So the case pearl is there are four stages of endometriosis depending on the severity. One would be mild and four would be more severe. If you have more of a severe case of endometriosis, it is pertinent that your endometriosis is under control first before you try to get pregnant. Not controlling your endometriosis and not treating it can decrease your fertility overall and lead to problems getting pregnant. So that's it for today's uh, episode. Thanks so much for listening to Pregnancy Pearls podcast. I hope that you've learned a little more about ectopic pregnancies today and that you enjoyed the episode. If you or someone you know has had a pregnancy complication or unique pregnancy situation, let me know about it. Email me at pregnancypearls at gmail.com to hear your topic or case discussed on one of our podcast episodes. Also, remember to follow me on Instagram at Pregnancy underscore Pearls and Facebook at Pregnancy Pearls. Make sure to also subscribe to the YouTube channel at YouTube.com forward slash Pregnancy Pearls with Dr. Plenty for more quick talks about pregnancy complications. In closing, remember to advocate for yourself. You are your biggest advocate and no one knows what's going on with your body except for you. Thanks for listening and have an amazing week. Bye.
Pregnancy Pearls is hosted by Dr. Nicole Lee Plenty. Produced by Nicole Plenty and Janine Brunson Johnson. Executive producer Ken Johnson. Find Pregnancy Pearls on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice for diagnosis or treatment of individual medical conditions. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with specific questions regarding a medical condition. Pregnancy Pearls is a mean old lion media production. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.